It is a real privilege to be here. I don't know why you guys picked a picture from 15 pounds ago. Um, <laughs> it, it doesn't really help that the ugly guy uh, doesn't look quite like that anymore. Um, but it's true. Sean and I have been friends for many years. And uh, he's remained a friend for many years, mainly because, you know, Sean is just a good reminder that you don't need good looks for fruitful ministry. <laughs> and that serves this ugly guy more than you know. I noticed one of you, so yeah, you've got a, you, you're no longer the tall one in the family. It is really uh, a privilege that uh, for me is unspeakable to be able to be with you all this morning. Um, I was part of this church plant 14 years ago, and if you had told me then that one day I would be up here for something other than public confession, um, <laughs> I would have said, check your coffee because there's something in it. Um, but God is good. We serve a good God whose plans are better than our own, whose ways are higher than our own, and um, it is a privilege to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can open it uh, with me. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And we'll be spending all of our time there, so you can keep them open uh, as we spend time going through that. In 2006, my parents joined Sovereign Grace Church down in Richmond, Virginia, Kingsway Community Church. I was a freshman away at college, and when I came home for the summer, uh, I got to go to my first New Attitude conference, and I was able to go for three years, 2006 through 2008, and um, these were actually held before Mercy Hill existed. Um, but this conference was specifically focused on young adults, and uh, it was held, like I said, in Louisville, Kentucky, and the conference had amazing speakers, Albert Moeller, Mark Devers, C.J. Mahaney. Uh, John Piper, and I'll never forget one of John Piper's illustrations where he spoke about the differences between microscopes and um, spotting scopes, or telescopes. And he made the point that the church is not to magnify God like a microscope. A microscope takes something really, really small and makes it bigger than it actually is. It makes it bigger to our eyes so that we can perceive the detail. However, the church is called to magnify God like a telescope, which takes an unspeakably big thing and illuminates it only a little bit for our eyes, only gives us a glimpse of what it truly is. The biggest star is estimated to be four and a half billion miles in circumference. No telescope can ever produce reproduce a four and a half billion mile star, but it can give us a little bit of a more accurate picture of what we see, more than just at least a dot in the sky. Today we will consider the fact that there are unsearchable riches in Christ, meaning beyond description, beyond our comprehension. And we will consider that the church acts as a telescope and marginally magnifying the manifold wisdom of God. And I say marginally because we will be learning and seeing and enjoying much, much more of God for eternity to come. The vastness of his wisdom. But, thanks be to God, when the church exists, 
matures and expands the glories of God to the extent that they are revealed to us, are on display for all the world to see. May we see this morning that there is a mission, and that mission has been given to the church, and that mission is to make God known, to magnify him, to use telescope language, and that there is both grace to accomplish the mission, and that there is also glory when we do. But I am very aware of my need, the first time having the privilege of speaking from this pulpit for the Lord. So if you would, let's just bow our heads and pray. Lord, thank you that we can turn to your word knowing that you are eager to speak to your church. Lord, thank you that it depends not on us, but on your Holy Spirit to illuminate what you've already recorded for us in your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do just that, that for us you would illuminate what you have for us, that we would walk away with application, understanding what you've called us to, and a joy and excitement to be part of your mission. Lord, I pray that you would protect me from error and that you would speak clearly to your people. We trust you for this this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to start by looking at the first two verses this morning, verse 8 and verse 9. This is Paul speaking. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Paul was an aggressive opposer of the church. He saw it as something that had to be destroyed or annihilated even at all costs. So when Paul starts by telling us this morning that he uh, was the very least of all the saints, he has in mind his, his former persecution of the church. But there's also a sense in which Paul realizes that man in general is just completely unworthy of being invited to partake in the spreading of the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and taking that to all peoples. Which then begs the question for us of what the unsearchable riches of Christ are. And it is essentially the gospel. The gospel in all its glory, the truths of Christ's life, his death, his defeat over the enemy in our place, and that he is right now, in this moment, as we gather, as churches gather all over the world, he is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me in this moment. And when speaking of these unsearchable riches, Paul says that he has been called to bring to light to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. And so Paul is saying that he is merely bringing this plan to light. He is drawing our attention to the existence of this plan, of this gospel of Christ, Christ, which is the mystery hidden for ages. And let me just say, it is not a mystery in the sense that it is not knowable. It is a mystery in the sense that formerly it was hidden. But in Christ... It has been made known to us. And were it not for the grace of God in our lives, we would not even speak of this message. In fact, our former natures hated the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ in our place. If we didn't hate it, there was part of us that didn't understand it. The idea that we were spiritually dead and helpless 
And the fact that there was a, is a God who has been profaned and whose name we have utterly dragged through the trenches, and yet it is exactly He that forgives and saves and transforms, who sustains and grows and matures, listens, mediates for us, who sent the Spirit that seals and guarantees the very thing that He secured for us. That's wildly offensive. And then two of my favorite words in the Bible, but God. Ephesians 2, verses 4, 5, and 8. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The gospel, the message of the gospel and the work of the Spirit in making that gospel message precious in our hearts, that is a gift of God. Its proclamation then becomes the mission. It is why Christ came. That message is to be proclaimed. And because I can even think back for myself to a day when I thought, you know, this is really for the big guns. This is for guys like Paul or senior pastors like Ken. Uh, let me just say, the enemy would love nothing more for us than to believe that this is not for us, that this is for those God has only set apart specially to proclaim the gospel. We are to live for Christ's glory in such a way that his excellencies are proclaimed and his mission is advanced. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5 says. And he, that's Christ, died for all that those who live that's believers, might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Who are to live for him? Believers. Those who are in him. And only three verses later, Paul would say, all this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, which means it's all of us, because the ministry of reconciliation was given to all those who live no longer for themselves. The mission of God to see the unsearchable riches of Christ proclaimed to all nations, tribes, and languages, the mission of God to bring to light what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages, and God will not stop, nor will it be thwarted, or prevented, or frustrated, or disappointed, or foiled, until Christ comes again. This brothers and sisters, is the greatest occurrence and the greatest confidence that is going on in our midst today and everywhere on earth. The mission is the gospel and its proclamation, and being able to partner in its proclamation is glorious. So I hope you are as excited as I am to then ask the question, how? If, that's, if the proclamation of the gospel is the mission, how is this mission to advance. And I'm glad you asked, because that brings us to the second question. Second point. The church is the means of the mission. The church is the means of the mission. Both the global church at large, all Christians everywhere, but also every single individual church of Christ has a role to play in the mission. Let's read verses 10 and 11 with me, and, and keep in mind that Paul has just told us 
The mission is proclamation. How and why this mission? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you did a double take on this one, you're in good company. So did I. Because it reads, so that through the church, okay, checking with Paul, the manifold wisdom of God, yep, yep, that's the message, might now be made known, that's what we want, Lord, we want your message to be made known, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, the church is to make the manifold wisdom of God known to angels and demons, because that's what's implied here with the spiritual authorities in the heavenly places. Yes. But for us to make sense of that, we will need to consider a few things first. When Paul says, so that through the church, he is envisioning a healthy, godly church. A church that is aware of the good news of Jesus Christ, growing in their maturity in both preaching and application of the gospel, as well as aware of their mandate to see the church expand by going where the church has not previously existed. When and where the church exists, matures, and expands in that way, it will not only result in growing church memberships of God-glorifying, Christ-proclaiming, Spirit-led people, although that is true, but when the church exists, matures, and expands, it is even proclaiming Christ to the spiritual realm. For the angels, this would be glorious. Luke 15.10 says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner that repents. For the demons, however, this same message proclaims defeat. James 2.18 says, You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Each time a husband humbles himself by apologizing and asking forgiveness of his spouse, he partakes in that mission. Each time a mother corrects a sinning child and points them to Christ, she partakes in that mission. Each time you share the gospel with a neighbor, pray for a relative, read scripture with a friend, attend and serve a church or apply any part of what God has commanded us in his word, we partake of this mission. And this is never more true than when mutual sinners, that's us, when mutual sinners give each other reason not to love and care or serve one another, but do it nonetheless because of being brothers and sisters in Christ, members of his body. This proclaims Christ's victory to the world loud and clear. The point, the gospel of Jesus Christ and its impact, according to author Daryl Buck, speaks to the entire cosmos. The battle that is being fought by the existence of a church locally, maturing locally and expanding extra-locally is not merely physical on earth, but it is a spiritual battle, as Paul would remind the church later in Ephesians 6, when he said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic 
powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, the church is God's designated means by which he intends to bring sinners into a saving knowledge of himself, by which he intends for the angels to respond in worship, and by which he intends for the enemy to see that it has been defeated. And you and I are participating in that mission in this very moment as the gathered church. The gospel is advancing both here and everywhere it is proclaimed. I was really affected uh, by what Ken shared this morning when he said we are an ordinary people living ordinary lives on an extraordinary mission because we are serving an extraordinary God. That is what we have been called to. We've not been saved and said, I've forgiven you, now get out of the way. I have forgiven you, come closer. I have a mission that you are going to be called into to partake of. It's just amazing. And by the way, this is not a new plan. That God quickly brought about because another plan failed. Look, at me, look with me at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In eternity past, God knew that on the 30th of July, or I think you guys said July 30th, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. On July 30th, 2023, God knew that there would be a church gathered in Fredericksburg, Virginia called Mercy Hill. In eternity past, God knew that this church would exist and mature locally, praise God, and that this church would have a heart for expanding the global church. Praise him again. By letting a foreigner with an accent preach as part of his preparation to be able to be sent back to Namibia in southern Africa, so that by God's grace someday a church might be planted there and the gospel could advance there and people who have not yet heard may hear and their lives too would be changed because of the gospel. May God bring that about. The expansion of God's church is the mission. In order that Christ may be exalted in every place, by every tribe and tongue and nation, for the glory of God the Father. And please note that it says that he has realized this in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is finished. It is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Satan is done, his defeat is accomplished, and though he kicks and squirms and accuses, he does so from death. Thank God it is not up to us to still try and accomplish that. Now I need to share with you that it has not always been my conviction that the church is God's primary mission spearhead. In 2009, I was sent out by Kingsway to be part of this church plant. Only a few months later, I visited South Africa where I re-met my wife, Lisa, from childhood, our childhood days. And after a few weeks in South Africa, much to uh, Sean and Jess's dismay, I asked her parents permission to date her. And two weeks after that, I asked her permission to marry her. If you want to know more about that, you can ask me. I can just tell you, guys like Sean and I only have wives because God blinded them for a while. <laughs> <clears throat> The fact that they stay with us may mean there's still some blinding going on. In 2010, I finally moved back to South Africa from Virginia 
got married later that year, and in 2011 joined OM, that's Operation Mobilization, which is an international missions organization. Now, OM, like many missions organizations, love Jesus. They love seeing the gospel and his fame and renown spread to all peoples. It is the sole purpose for which they exist. I ended up serving with OM in Pretoria, South Africa, for about four years, after which we were asked to take over the leadership of OM's work in Namibia, uh, where we served for the last seven years, up until this past December. And during my time as a missionary, I was obviously in, moved with passion for the gospel to spread to all peoples, to proclaim Christ and his gospel. This meant that we did frequent missions trips, we did weekend trips uh, and training events, we distributed Bibles, many of those Bibles were funded by you as a church, uh, we supported local missionaries and pastors that serve in rural areas. We, we even set up all the legal entities and structures and bank accounts and everything that was administratively necessary to ensure that such a work would continue. Over a period of time, however, I came to realize, um, and I, I came to see scriptures like this one this morning, and I realized that it never mentioned OM. Uh, which is clearly a translation oversight. I'll still take that up with Paul someday. But uh, I'm just kidding, obviously. But, but let me be very clear. The work that missions organizations do, for the most part, is glorious and Christ-edifying. As Paul said to the Philippians, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so what I am here to tell you this morning with joy in my heart, is that many missions organizations proclaim Christ, and in that we can and should rejoice. However, Paul here and in numerous other places throughout the New Testament, it is made clear that God intends for his church to be the primary torchbearers of the gospel. You see, where we preached as missionaries, I preached for a day or maybe a few days, and we returned home. Where we baptized... Uh, we baptized people and often left them without a church. If we were lucky, there was a small group of people doing a Bible study together. When we distributed Bibles in languages that we do not speak or understand or read, we distributed those Bibles without being able to articulate the gospel clearly or take people to specific verses. We have to trust that God would use his word to accomplish his purposes amongst his people. Now, are any of these things bad? Absolutely not. But it is not how God intends for the gospel of his Son to be spread primarily. God intends for churches to exist in a particular place, to mature in a particular way, and then expand that experience to others in particularly other or different places. The church has been given the authority of the Great Commission. Only the church has Jesus as its head. And therefore, only the church is especially gifted in multiplying itself through discipleship so that focused, growing, uh, gospel-preaching, Christ-exalting core groups of people may exist in culturally re relevant ways to specific geographic areas in specific languages and to then multiply that by doing and planting the same thing over and over and over again. And when they are done, the church flourishes. It's just amazing that Christ calls us as a local church to be part of seeing the church expand and the gospel preached not only around us, 
but everywhere on this planet. And it's just amazing to me that the Lord would have me here and use experiences of having been part of a church plant and now redeeming those experiences and using them so that he could prepare my family to be able to go and by God's grace and through your prayers to be able to go and repeat the same in Namibia. And that is not because we are special church. It's not because the church is somehow gifted or authoritative on its own. No. Why then? Because verse 11 says the purpose has been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is Lord of all. Lordship means that He is the author and owner and initiator and completer of the work of spreading His gospel through His church. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 1, According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him, Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. The church is only the means for the expansion of the mission because Christ is the head of the church. All things have been put under His feet, and He has been given as the head over all things to us, the church. It's His very Lordship that guarantees the forward movement and expansion of the gospel through the work of His church. And now you guys are going to say, what does that look like, Josh? What does that mean? What is, what is this morning's scripture requiring of us? And we, we touched on this a bit earlier, but we are to engage Christ and His Word by obeying His commands. A good place for us to start is Hebrews 10.25, not neglecting to meet together, which is what we're doing right now. So I'm preaching to the choir. We are to pray together for our members, for our communities, for the lost. We are to pray for and send out missionaries and church planters. We are to pray for and plant new churches for the gospel to be able to advance boldly. We are to love one another. As God has said, this is exactly how the world will know that we are His disciples. Exactly in that moment when you least feel like loving your brother or sister is when we are able to love them, and that says something about our being Christ's disciples. We are also to baptize new members, share communion as an expression of our unity, as we did this morning, and increasingly resemble Christ as the Word of God is applied to our hearts, by the Spirit primarily, and through the preached Word, but also through all avenues that God has gifted this church with. And as Mercy Hill exists and matures and expands, as God adds to your numbers and you increasingly grow in Christ-likeness, you would have no other way than to burst at the seams of seeing the gospel go everywhere on earth. To see the same experience that you have as being part of this church, being members of this church, and saying, we want others to experience what we have experienced, both through Christ, what He's done for us, and the unity 
that we have as a membership. And so we should seek ways in which God has gifted us and serve and function in those gifts in order to see the local church grow up and built up in love and ultimately expanded to, go, expanded to see more churches planted in other places, to see the gospel go where it might also breathe the same new life there that it has for you. This really gets me excited when I start talking about this. I'm, I'm eager to go. I told Matthew Williams, uh, I, I, uh, he better hold me down this last part of the year that we're still doing the pastoral residency because I'm, I'm getting ready to go back to Namibia and if he blinks, I might be on a plane. That brings us to the third point. Point number one, gospel, proclam- gospel proclamation is the mission. Number two, the church is the means of the mission. And number three, there is grace and glory in the mission. There is grace and glory in the mission. Verses 12 and 13. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. John Piper is well known for many things, and perhaps nothing more so than his quote where he said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It's, it's, a, it's a remarkable statement when you take time to think of it. When you are most satisfied in God, that is when he is most glorified in us. And it then begs the question how we can be most satisfied. And I need to tread lightly. I'm uh, walking in the footsteps of the spiritual giant that is John Piper. But being most satisfied in God is never more true than when we are eagerly most dependent upon him. Dependent on him for his grace. Dependent on him for his sustaining power. Dependent on him for his spirit to move in our lives in the church by bringing conviction of sins and giving us the strength we need to endure. Dependent on him for the very air we breathe. The mission's expansion by the church can only happen and will only happen because we have boldness and access to Christ with confidence through our faith in him, our dependence upon him. Not because the model in the book of Acts is somehow a smart marketing strategy for church expansion, not because we are somehow intrinsically designed by the early church leaders to uh, accomplish the mission, but because through our faith in him, there is boldness and there is access with confidence in Christ. I have two boys. You saw them on that picture. That's, like I said, a a bit of an older picture. Uh, My boys are six and eight, Joshua and, and Matthew. And our oldest loves sports. We play cricket. He's taken up baseball since he's been here, rugby, and any, any sports. And usually, if you buy decent sporting equipment, it's, it's made to take a beating. It, 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 it will last for a little while. Our youngest, however, doesn't like sports. He prefers to just play with Legos or small toys. I mean, he doesn't walk past one of those little egg vending machines. We don't have those, but we've, we've, he, he doesn't walk past them. He wants a quarter, put it in there, some toy comes out or some chocolate egg that has a toy in it. And he can play with those for days. The problem is that they're usually made of pretty cheap plastic and have little moving parts. And I, I, I accidentally succeeded in fixing one or two of Matthew's uh, toys once. And he is now completely convinced that there's nothing 
that I cannot fix. <laughs> and so imagine him leaving a toy car out. That's his fault. Uh, and I drive over it with our four-wheel drive vehicle. I hear a scream. I get out, and he's looking down at this little toy car that I mean, it's beyond recognition. And he goes, it's OK. He'll fix it. <laughs> I go, buddy, I'm, I'm trying to not laugh in that moment. I, like, I, I, I can't fix this. This is, this is not fixable. And his eyes drop, and he goes, yes, you can. <laughs> There is an access and a boldness in confidence with Matthew when he brings broken toys to me. He is confident of what he is hoping uh, I can do, what he thinks he can do. Uh, he was wrong. Uh, however, our faith, church, placed in God because we have boldness and access through faith in him, will never disappoint and will never fail. In the midst of your very own trials as a church, which are sure to come, and if you've been around for any amount of time, you can probably attest to the fact that they have already come. But as the church continues to exist and mature and expand, we can know that verse 12 is as true in that moment as it has ever been. Trials are sure, but what is even more sure is that we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Christ. Now, my illustration fails miserably because I was ultimately not able to fix that toy car. But our God is able. There is no confidence in my ability to fix anything. But we have complete confidence. We have every confidence through our faith in Him that He is able to do all things. Amen? There's grace for the mission. But there's also glory in the mission. Glory in the mission, and it comes from suffering. Because you see, Paul was all too aware of the fact that suffering is real. In fact, Paul is writing the very words on these pages from a prison cell in Rome, which is the very reason the Ephesians would have been tempted to lose heart. Read verse 13 with me again. I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The Ephesians were existing locally. They were maturing locally. But with Paul in prison, how would they be able to partner for the expansion of the church extra locally? And yet Paul says that they should not lose heart because of what he is suffering for them, which is their glory. Now we have to wonder. How is Paul's suffering to their glory? How is it producing or bringing about glory? And I think there are at least two main ways that God uses suffering in our lives to produce glory. Firstly, and this is exactly why the prosperity gospel is so evil, but suffering is part of our identity as believers. We live in a world where suffering is evident and not yet done away with. We live for a suffering Savior, according to Isaiah 53. We are told to take joy when we face trials, James 1. We are told to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope will not put us to shame. 
Romans 5. Suffering is part and parcel of being called the people of God, the children of God. If you're a Christian, then know that suffering is part of your identity as a Christian. And if this surprises you, then hear the words of Peter in 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And that brings us to the second part of suffering. It is the means God uses to reveal his glory. The last sentence in that verse said, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Suffering is what God uses to reveal his glory. God has sovereignly ordained for suffering to be the means by which he reveals his glory. To Paul, when he was suffering, God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak, his power is made perfect. And there can be nothing more glorious, nothing more glorious than the power of God being made perfect and on display all the earth and we have to take a moment here to think of the gospel because brothers and sisters there has never been a more perfect display of God's power in weakness than when he sent his son to be weak in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of those who hung him on that tree but there's also never been anything more grand anything more spectacular anything more eternity-altering in all of history than Jesus Christ's resurrection from the grave. In death, he dealt the final blow to Satan and his hordes. Jesus is the victorious one. He deserves all glory and honor and praise. And he intercedes for us, sustains and guarantees the existence of his church, and he guarantees and sustains us in maturing and expansion of the church. By God's grace, uh, my family hopes to return to Namibia in January, uh, this coming January 2024. And if the Lord should grant to us that grace, then it will be to your glory, Mercy Hill, that as you have partnered with us for many years to see the gospel, gospel mission expanded, through your care for my family over many years, through your giving towards the region for this particular church plant, and whatever God may choose to accomplish through a future church plant in Vintook will be to your glory as you have partnered with us in this mission. And so I want to leave you with a question that was asked to me by Pastor Mike Siva. Mike Siva is the senior pastor of Risen Hope Church uh, in, um, of the Sovereign Grace Church in, in South Carolina. He's part of our region, actually. I saw a map earlier of the region. I really like that. And he asked, does the church have a mission, or does the mission have a church? And you need to think about that for just a moment. Does the church have a mission, or does the mission have the church? And without a doubt, I think the answer is both. Uh, but it is my hope, especially this morning, church, that we would be keenly aware of the fact that the mission has a church. Because that means that God, 
in eternity past, had this plan where the unsearchable riches of Christ would be proclaimed and made known and preached. And according to his eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in order to see that mission come to fruition, in order to see that mission that God has given and mandated and equipped and called the church, we are to be the primary torchbearers, the primary spearhead of that mission. We are God's primary, specially gifted means by which Jesus Christ will be glorified and displayed and cherished and preached to all peoples for all ages until he returns to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have not just called us to be co-heirs, but co-laborers. Lord, thank you that it doesn't matter what we do professionally. You have called us to be missionaries for you, to be ambassadors for the gospel. You have called us to be members of a church, to submit to one another and to your word. You have called us to live out exactly the way that you've proclaimed for us and given us in your word. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to do, as your global church continues to worship you, gather to hear your word preached, to partake of the many blessings that you have for us, that our unity would be something that proclaims Jesus Christ and him crucified to all peoples. Lord Jesus, we want you to be made known, for people to know that you are glorious and worthy. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would apply to our hearts, not only the message from this morning, but apply to people's hearts this morning everywhere that the gospel is being preached, and that you would bring people into a saving knowledge of yourself, that you would build churches, that you would expand the church globally, Lord, so that it could go everywhere it has not yet gone, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.